Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsig, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, we've got a bunch of shitty news this week. It was another rough news week. Yeah, and this isn't even, like, COVID stuff. Yeah, this is all not COVID stuff. Like, we anticipated more terrible COVID news weeks, but... And there's plenty of it. I mean, oh, yes. my home state is outlawing masks, basically. Oh, oh, Siri? oh yeah, that's right. Kemp. Right. Brian Kemp um, has, he's not outlawing masks, but he's basically preventing any cities or counties from actually like creating mask mandates. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Atlanta's like, they're in court about it now, which is just terrific anyway yay let's talk about the bad tv news let's talk about the bad tv news um well as as people who've been following the story will know naya rivera's body was recovered this past week um she is believed to have drowned um somehow making it better but worse is Mm -hmm. the fact that her son's last memory was being lifted into the boat by his mom and then she went under this is why you, I mean, I'm not trying to blame anything on, on Ms. Rivera, right? Everyone wear a life jacket when you're swimming in a lake. Any, like, just do it. Even if you're a good swimmer and it gets in the way. Because you never know when something's going to happen. And apparently the, what is believed to have happened currently is that the the anchor, like the boat started drifting. And she was playing with... Uh, swimming with her son who was wearing a life jacket, but then had, she had to all of a sudden swim to get back to the boat and she got him in, but she didn't make it. So (sighs) always wear life jackets, guys always wear life jackets. Um, So yeah, that's terrible. Also terrible this week. Why don't you take this one? Uh, Is that uh, Grant Amahara who was on Mythbusters, um, died of a brain aneurysm at the age of 49, which is also terrible. Um, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with um, Imahara just kind of in general. I never really watched Mythbusters all that much, which I feel like it should be surprising. Um, <laughs> but I'm familiar with his work on there, but just him in general. Um, and this was, this was also very sad. Yeah. Aneurysms are terrible. So... Yeah, um, non-controversial hot, non non yeah seriously not a hot take not the hottest um, of takes but an accurate yeah. one. Um, Did also, you watch a lot of MythBusters at all? Or oh yeah, I've I've seen I've seen many a MythBusters marathon in my day. Okay. I figured as much. Yeah, I'm that kind of nerd. Your dad seems. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I am, and that is yeah. You're right. That is very much dad TV as well. Yeah. Uh, though mostly when I've watched MythBusters, it's been on my own. Um, okay. But I also am familiar with Amhara because of uh, he, on the Craig Ferguson show, the his late night talk show. Uh, Grant was in charge of Jeff the robot. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. Oh, yeah. man. Now I'm doubly sad. Yeah. So oh. that sucked. Also, Kelly Preston died this this week uh, of breast cancer at 57. So 
That sucks too. She's, I think of her more from film than from TV. Yes. But, um, yeah. So our thoughts are with all of these families, um, and, and friends and, and their circles. Cause it's, you know, it's a rough time for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. So having other things pile on top of that, uh, doesn't help. And yeah, I also had a death in my family this week and not a COVID one. Not that that's better, but my thoughts are with my family as well. Also, uh, this week, we, Chi Chi Devane, drag queen, of course, we're big fans of Drag Race here, uh, and just fabulous all around entertainer from Drag Race. Chi uh, Chi Devane has come forward and uh, shared with her fans that she's in the hospital right now. Um, she's got scleroderma, uh, scleroderma, which is a, uh, a disease that hardens the skin and affects a lot of the organs. And she was diagnosed with that last year, but she's currently in the, I believe it's the ICU for, to, to try to figure what's going on. She's been tested for COVID and that came back negative. Um, but, uh, you know, let's reach out to her fans for support. And so if you are a Drag Race fan, if you're a Chi Chi fan, you can find uh, more information online, I'm sure, at, at her website, which every time I've checked it has been down. Um, I'm sure it's there's, it's getting a lot of uh, visits from the from, from her fans. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this has been a shitty, a shitty week. Let's talk about a little good news, because there also was a cool thing that happened this week, which was Aisha D, who we really appreciate on The Bold Type, who plays Kat, came forward uh, after the finale of the season aired, of course, due to coronavirus filming, the uh, the finale uh, was two episodes sooner than originally intended. Um, but she came forward with a statement about representation on the set and uh, the fact that this that she feels like she can or she is willing to come forward and talk about the absence of BIPOC writers in the writing room and uh, in roles, positions of authority on the set. I think it's terrific. Apparently there was no one in the hair department who was comfortable. or could actually work with textured hair for the first like three seasons of the show. Isn't that ridiculous? It's incredibly ridiculous. It's, it's not surprising, unfortunately. No, it is not. But it's, it is ridiculous. Right. So she took to Instagram and posted this, um, qu- quoting that she took a cue from the very character that she plays in terms of, cat wouldn't tolerate this so i'm not going to either so she points out a number of things including the fact that it took them two seasons to get a single um uh, black indigenous person of color in the writer's room um and then that it just took too long that takes too long but it also puts the onus on that one person to do the entire experience of that which is not how that works, especially when your show has a queer black woman and a lesb- lesbian Muslim woman falling in love, which is something that she points out in the post. Um, they've had one black woman direct two episodes of the show across 48 episodes, which is another thing that she points out. Um, so the show's producers um, reached out to her um, on Instagram and have issued a statement as well, um, basically saying, right, um, Thanks for like doing this. We'll talk to you, um, which is always sort of a weird double-edged sort of like, all right, well, doing this publicly makes it like a discourse issue, which is really, really important. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that she did that. But it also like, I worry about like the, you did this in public first, 
kind of like blowback that could potentially happen. Um, I don't think that it's something that can happen given the current landscape, but you just never goddamn fucking know anymore. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that there isn't a blowback and that the show does um, significant work um, going forward on that. Um, per someone talking to Variety, um, the show has queer women of color on staff. The show has had a a lesbian woman of color in season two and a bisexual woman of color in season three. Um, in season four, the writer's room consisted of three people who identified as LGBTQ plus and five writers who were people of color. Eight out of the 10 writers were female, all per the source, um, mm. which is good. But, you know, there's always yeah. room for improvement, especially like when it comes to directing. But there's also just for other below the line type of stuff. So yeah. the hair and makeup is a really good thing. Lighting, director, photography type stuff is also really, really important. So all things to keep in mind when we're when she's kind of discussing this. Yeah. Well, and also when the thing that puts your show on the map, you know, outside of the the people who just were looking for a young people, young women go get it in the publishing industry kind of show. A sex in the city for young millennials, older Gen Z's. Yes. Yeah. The thing that put them on the map was the, was their relationship between a queer black woman and a queer Muslim woman. That's like, that's the thing that put them on, on the map. So the fact that they didn't feel like it was important to have input in the writer's room from like from either anyone who's Muslim, anyone who is a black woman, a black queer woman, like it's the fact that it took them and like more than a season to, to do that and to, that they've never had more than one black woman in the writing room at any time is not, it's not very good. Um, and it's something, it's like, it explains certain things. It doesn't it explain does. lots of things, but it explains certain things such as the plot line, this season, where Kat is in a relationship with a woman uh, who, at least her father, is a proponent of queer conversion therapy. And she's on the board of her dad's, I believe, on the board of her dad's company. I don't know. She, she's involved in, because she's conservative and her family actively supports queer conversion therapy. So, like, the the notion that Kat would be in a relationship with that is absolutely mind-boggling to me and so and and then you you find this stuff up behind the scenes you're like oh that makes a lot more sense i've seen several articles actually before she came forward with this statement i saw i'd seen a couple articles talking about how this didn't make any sense for cat and what was going on and this is so out of character and then that i don't know if it was just a combination of seeing those articles and, and deciding to speak about it or maybe she didn't even see them but I thought, I thought it was really terrific that Dee felt like she could come forward and that she should and that she was comfortable doing that. Or maybe, I mean, I don't know if she's comfortable, but that she was going to make that decision. So um, I think it's I think it's good. And I also like I'm not optimistic that if she had raised these issues internally, that anything would happen. Correct. And <laughs> so, that's the, sort of the thing is like um, the BuzzFeed news piece recently that came out about the uh, work culture behind the Ellen DeGeneres show Mm -hmm. demonstrates that sometimes doing that privately is not the way to get anything done regrettably because of how power works within a production setting. So it was probably the good move because it puts pressure on the show. Yeah. So we will see what the fallout, if any is. Um, Yeah. 
more on that as it develops, if it does. Um, our last bit of news is a strange one. And yes. one that really felt like, what? What's, uh-huh. So Tom Bergeron has been fired from Dancing with the Stars. Along with Aaron Andrews as well. Along we with Aaron know. Andrews, yes. But he's been with the show since it premiered. Yes. She's been on it for a while, but like not since day one. Also, Tom Bergeron, man's a man's a pro. Like he's mm-hmm. if you want that style of a host, like he's you're not going to get someone better. He's very very good at what he does. Um, uh, so it was very strange because you don't think of Dancing with the Stars shaking things up, um, going for a, a like a hip new vibe. Um, because he's he's neither of those things. No, no, he he is not <laughs> hip, and he is not new. Yeah, um, apparently he's going to be replaced, uh, or like the new host is going to be Tyra Banks. Correct. Which is very, I was like, okay, okay. I mean, good for Tyra. Yay! Clearly, the, the show wants to go in a different direction. It's a very different direction. Hopefully, she does great. She does a great job. Um, I sh- it it was just weird. Any thoughts on this? It is weird. Like you say, um, like you said, Bergeron's an icon. Um, he's like, he's great. Like, I really love him. His, he does a really invisible job on that show in terms of being a host and MC and the ways in which he makes space for everyone is something that is very difficult to do well. And the fact that he's done it so well for so long is really impressive. And I always thought it was a shame that he didn't get more recognition for that kind of work. Because even when you watch him like do game show hosting, particularly like if you go to the Hollywood Squares revival, he's fantastic on that. I would really encourage folks to seek that out on YouTube. That being said, I'm really not, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised either because Dancing with the Stars has been struggling ratings wise for a while now. And they have needed to shake things up. And I think bringing in Tyra Banks, not only as host, but as an executive producer of the show as well, gives her creative control. And hopefully for Dancing with the Stars as a franchise on ABC will give them the injection of creativity, of newness, of freshness, of hipness that you just (laughs) alluded Mm -hmm. to, that they will need going forward if they want to continue to be a ratings hit for ABC which they have very consistently been for almost like 30 friggin' seasons, mm-hmm. uh, cycles of the show. So bringing Tyra Banks on, she's going to be the only host going forward. So Aaron, she won't have a co-host like Bergeron did with Aaron Andrews. And I'm really curious to see what that dynamic is going to look like um, with with that show going forward. So I, I imagine that this is a wholesale makeover of the show that hopefully hopefully extends to its casting practices in terms that would be of good. maybe not inviting Sean Spicer or Tucker Carlson onto your show. I'm just, just spitballing ideas here. Yeah. Also, if, if for those who don't remember Bergeron, one of the only times I can ever think of him making any sort of statement about anything yes. was yes. that he was dismayed upon hearing about the casting of Sean Spicer. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because like, he's such an old hand and a professional of this kind of stuff is like he does when he did that, that was a deal. Like, yeah, it's not something a guy like Bergeron does. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, that, yeah, he, he makes it look easy yes. and it is not. No, it's not. And he's, he's done that for decades. Like even 
hosting America's Funniest Home Videos and taking over for Bob Saget. Like, yeah, no, it's hosting America's home Funniest Home Videos. But at the same time, that's a whole other skill set that is really challenging, I think, for to do well. Um, as, like, just look at the rotating cast for, like, the talk soup um, and the soup sort of thing. And, like, think about your favorite hosts and how well they did or did not do. That's the kind of skill set that Bergeron has honed for 30, 40 years of television. Yeah. So it's very interesting. And yeah, yeah it's not enough to make me watch it, but people who do watch it. I will probably it... watch the first episode. <laughs> okay, see... you can report back. Yeah, to see what it looks like. Um, I I do look forward to the first season of this Tyra Banks produced uh, Dancing with the Stars being all contemporary interpretive dance done six <laughs> feet apart. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yep. Well, on that note, this week at the end of the show, we're talking about the great season one on Hulu. It has been renewed for season two. Um, so we're talking about the first season. It dropped in May and it's super fun. So guys, go check it out. We'll talk about it more at the end of the show. But before then, we have a full week in TV. So let's take a break. Listen to some Cypress Hill. That's right, Stargirl delivering on the 90s jams. And we will be right back uh, after this with our week in TV. That was Cypress Hill with Insane in the Brain, uh, which, yeah, again, Stargirl delivering on the 90s jams. And I don't even remember that from, I just, I know the song. I don't have any specific 90s related memories with it. Just like, just going like, ah, that one. It's fun. I'm very much enjoying, as we've said, like every week, I'm very much enjoying the this, the song choices, music supervision on Stargirl. This week, uh, we're going to kick things off with a little comedy. Noel's going to fill us in on Palm Springs, which I which is, it's a movie, but whatever. It's on Hulu. We're counting it. Uh, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I'm looking forward to Noel's thoughts. Uh, then also, Noel has uh, our, our info on the 30 Rock one-time special, which is also an upfront for NBC and Peacock. Very interested to hear your thoughts on that, Noel. Then we're going to go over to genre and talk Stargirl, Brainwave, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after, before, before we round things out with Reality and Jelly's Marble Run, Marble League 2020, The Long Jump, and Five Meter Hurdles. And we'll round things out, of course, with Drag Race All-Stars, The Charles Family Barbecue. Uh, so first up is Palm Springs. And are, are you going to try to keep this spoiler free? Or yes. N- okay. Good luck. Yeah. No. Well, here's the thing is the premise for the movie is almost made clear very immediately in the movie, but it's also, like, the thing that they advertise it as. So I'm not going to, like, get into, like, larger spoilers about it. Okay. So so you're not going to avoid the premise. I'm not going to avoid the premise because 
that that's I feel like that's very silly. I don't think the premise of something is a spoiler. It's a spoiler. So I apologize. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to know anything, just skip ahead a little bit to the next timestamp. Palm Springs is a movie in which Andy Samberg plays a wedding guest who is stuck in a time loop of the day of a wedding. Um, he is the f- boyfriend of like the maid of honor. Isn't the female lead the maid of honor? She, she, yes, she is. Yeah. Well, she's their sister. So yeah, she's the maid of honor. Okay. But, so he's yeah. the boyfriend of somebody in the bridal party. Bridal party. Yes. Thank you. The maid of honor slash sister of the bride is played by Christina Milotti. Kristen, Kristen Milioti. Milioti. Thank you. And she gets trapped in the time loop through circumstances. The movie's very funny, I think. It's a really good time loop film um, and a really good execution of the time loop premise in that anytime they fall asleep, die, go unconscious, whatever, the cycle starts over again. Ooh, interesting. That's new. That is. So it's really good. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's very funny. I think Sandberg and Mialotti are really, really funny in it. I think they have just oodles of chemistry as well, uh, which really helps here. There are some like delightful little cameos here uh, from mainly the bride and the groom or just they each get one really good scene. And if you know who they are, it's a reason to be excited, but they each only get like one really good scene each, which is a particular waste of the woman playing the bride. Um, but her one really good scene is hilarious i love it um but i think it's also a really thoughtful meditation on being stuck in a time loop in a way that some other time loop things haven't really been and i contrast this a little bit with the old guard which dropped on netflix last week as well which is the Charlize theron action flick that about a bunch of immortals um and pump springs i think is more thoughtful and more interested in what it means to live forever basically since that's kind of what a time loop incurs is living forever and i think it's a better meditation on that than the old guard is interested in being which i find really fascinating so i think pub springs is very funny there's a couple of really good twists in it um and the ways in which it resolves itself i think also are really really great and really kind of touching it is in my brain a very pro-marriage movie Mm-hmm. Um, because the entire premise is how would you feel about spending your spending the rest of your life with one person who knows what's going on? And I don't know if there's a more pro-marriage thing than that. That aside, I think it's still a really interesting film and it's really funny and it's just under 90 minutes, Kate. It's a movie <laughs> under 90 it's minutes. Chef's kiss. That's chef's great. kiss. It, there's no other, there's nothing else to sell you on the movie than it's 90 minutes right now (laughs) so i think it's really good i encourage you to check it out um if you have hulu it's definitely worth the time okay great i'm very excited uh if i can get my drag race review done in time i know what i'm doing tonight um next up is 30 rock with their one-time special so the thing i heard about this was that apparently not even all the affiliates were going to air it um so like who who actually was able to watch this just like a subset (laughs) So a weird number of people were able to watch it. Um, a number of affiliates that aren't what are called um, o- O&Os or owned and operated by NBC opted not to air this TV airing of the NBC upright presentation because 
that's what this is. And for listeners who don't remember us discussing it, an upfront presentation is basically what they show advertisers in an effort to convince those advertisers to buy airtime during the fall or whatever. Um, and typically it involves some of the star talent on stage at a big like hotel or whatever, showing trailers, being goofy. It's not for public facing consumption. And because of the state of everything, NBC just went, what if we do a 30 Rock reunion? That is also an upfront special. And some affiliates, like Kate said, decided not to do it because one of the things that the upfront special really pushes is Peacock, which made its hard public debut this week as well. And the reason why affiliates aren't particularly happy with Peacock as a thing is twofold. One is that NBC News and like the broadcast NBC News will air on Peacock. The Both of the, the NBC late night shows, Fallon and Myers, will air two to three hours earlier on Peacock before they actually air on broadcast te- television, which broadcasters aren't thrilled about because of just general sort of inertia of, all right, we've watched the 10 p.m. show. You'll stay here for our news coverage, local news coverage at 11, and then you go to the late night programming block. But if that programming is already completely available on a free service, why would they, why would they watch us is the yeah. concern there. And I think this is justifiable. And the tension inherent in that, I think, is something that, especially something like Peacock, that is so NBC-centered, has to really grapple with and think about. Um, I feel like it helps the fact that Peacock is basically only watchable on a computer Mm -hmm. right now. (laughs) Since you can't watch it on Roku, you can't watch it on Amazon Fire Stick or their streaming platform, and you can only watch it through very specific smart TVs and through an Xbox one. (laughs) That's it. Um, So there's a lot of stuff bouncing around industrially about this that makes 30 Rock a one-time special really bizarre. Um, As a 30 Rock episode, it is deeply hollow. Um, It lacks a fair amount of teeth for a show that regularly lampooned the fact that it has to shill for money like i mean you think about the fact of liz lemon turning directly to the camera and saying can i have can we have our money now after doing a verizon product integration type of deal snapple ran walked so that verizon could run this is a show that's always grappled with that so to watch them sort of like chill for the network and for the larger cable properties because there's also stuff about the NBC News as like an institution, including CNBC, MSNBC, and the NBC News as an outlet. But there's also like commercials for Universal theme parks, which is also part of the NBC Universal family. So it's a very weird thing watching them try to pull together a presentation for Kenneth, who's now running NBC Universal, please don't forget, so that he can do something and he wants TGS to be there for the upfront presentation. And so it becomes like this big thing about trying to get the game back together. It's fine. Like mm-hmm. the the weirdness of watching 30 Rock be a commercial for something is really, really, really bizarre. 
And I don't know how to reconcile that with the rest of the show's sort of approach to the media industry at large. Um, It's also just really weird because, like, there's no mention of Cable Town, which is especially bizarre to me, um, since Cable Town was the show's version of Comcast, which still owns NBC Universal and everything. So it's just kind of a weird thing that doesn't feel as pointed as it should, given that it's 30 Rock. That being said, Kate, Jenna continues to be the greatest of all time. Do you know, like, the general state of um, Jenna in this special? No. No? Okay. So Jenna has basically been blacklisted because she pooped in Mandy Moore's thermos. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And she can't get work anywhere. She's really struggling. She's been reduced to photobombing graduations to mm-hmm. read inspiring speeches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's delightful because Jane Krakowski is so dialed into Jenna that it's the best part of the entire, of the entire special. It's really, really great. Um, she also gets, and Willow Pilskin over at Slate, I did this as the stealth best line of this, and it really is, is when she's going through all of this and trying to convince them to let her appear in the special, the late 2010s were just really hard for some of us. And it's just like, it's such a good line mm-hmm. <laughs> that I I just, it's just really good. And Jenna's the best part of this whole thing. Um, so if you're going to watch this, and I don't think that you should, mm-hmm. but if you're going to, and you have a video on demand service recording of it, that is the best way to watch it. So you can fast forward through the actual commercials, which are just, things promoting NBC properties. And then you can watch the 30 Rock stuff. And then fast forward through the, the rest of it. Um, yeah. Because that's how I did it, except for to watch the trailers of the fall slate for NBC programs, because I am on a television podcast and that kind of stuff is important. And all of them look not great. It, I'm kind of interested in debris, but the rest of them just aren't worth... Some of them haven't filmed anything yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They haven't had time. <laughs> so they don't have a pilot to show us highlights of. Um, so like there's nothing from the um, law and order organized crime thing with Christopher Maloney that's dropping in the fall. Um, there's nothing. So yeah, no, don't watch this unless you're just a really diehard 30 Rock person like I am. But it's also a very kind of disappointing, weirdo, bizarro experience of watching a 30 Rock special. Okay. Well, I have absolutely no need to watch it. So, yeah, thank yeah. you for watching it. So I didn't have to. I'm very intrigued by the Jenna stuff, but not enough to sit there because I won't be able to skip, to fast forward. So, yeah. not enough to watch it in that manner. However, I will say that Jane Krakowski is delightful on this yeah. uh, coming week's episode of uh, Drag Race, where she is one of the guest judges. Ooh, that's right. I forgot about that. So it's very exciting. We'll talk anyway, about that next sorry. week. I got very excited. But for now. Let's head over to genre and talk about Stargirl Brainwave. I actually don't have much to say about this one. I was expecting a lot more from this episode, but I did really like what we got um, in the like the 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 flashback kind of like I thought the the way of doing the videotapes was fun. The, um, the I liked you know, I thought it was an efficient way to give us the information we need about how Brainwave got his abilities and and how that kind of works. Um, I think they are teasing out the Henry didn't 
actually leak the nudes thing, which is what I'm anticipating is going on there. Um, but uh, other than that, I thought it was just kind of a kind of getting ready sort of episode, um, table setting episode, and I was anticipating just a lot more. Uh, I was hoping for more of a sense of who Henry is, and I still don't feel like I have any sense of him as a character. And that's disappointing when we're nine episodes in, and clearly he's going to be a significant part of at least this, this season. Yeah, I agree. The The trouble with Henry, <laughs> <laughs> problem with Henry, is exactly what you say. He's so fully defined by his dad and the the whole concept of him being watched by Cindy for any sorts of telling of that he's inherited his father's powers, that he has nothing beyond that as a character. And it's admittedly very hard to dramatize that in a way that makes him not feel like that, but they're not, it doesn't really feel like they're trying to give him another sort of like outlet that isn't defined by brainwave. And that's really frustrating to watch. So it becomes a weird slog of an episode in that vein of this is a character we have literally very limited of a concept of that why should we care? Well, we care for plot reasons. And that's not a good reason Yeah, to care. Even if I do agree with you regarding the videotapes, I think is so wonderfully in keeping with the show's kind of nostalgic aesthetic that I really enjoy it. I also have to assume that brainwave just watch these tapes a lot because of the, like their terrible quality. <laughs> yeah. Um, because a lot of them are just not in good shape. And that means that he's watching them a lot because the tape is wearing down. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless they just really want to hammer home that it's retro technology. Well, I wondered if maybe the, his, like his brainwaves affected it in some way. Like, that is an interesting point. I didn't think about that. I, I like you know, that. the fact that it's on an actual tape, you know. Yeah. That's an interesting that's interesting. I like that a lot, Kate. I'm gonna share that with my person when we get off the podcast. That's gonna be um, our answer for now. Because it makes more yeah. sense. <laughs> it makes more sense. Um a couple of other things that I did like in this episode, however, were I liked all the Cindy Edo stuff. Um the whole thing with Edo slash Dragon King. I think is appropriately creepy and really, yeah, no, it's just creepy. And I really like how that character definitely feels like he's in a, he stole in that weird silver, late, early silver, late golden age period from whence his character originated. While everyone else has moved on. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And I really like that whole vibe of everyone seems really unsure about how to interact with him in the Injustice Society. And I really, really like that. I like the fact that his drones pull out his chair for him at the table. Mm -hmm. I like that he asks if he can sit down. And everyone seems really confused by that request. And just the ways in which they've made that character really creepy to everyone, I think is great. Um, So I really, really liked that. As corny and ridiculous as it is, I like the way in which they have Courtney figure out that Jason is ice cream. <laughs> yeah, that was super fun. It's so fun. It's very stupid, but it's great. And I really, really like that. And I also like that um, Pat's whole way of saving a boiled chicken is to make chicken and dumplings because that is the correct choice. 
<laughs> Either that or shred it up and do like, uh, like, I don't know, tamales or something. Yeah. And she'll have Yeah, this. that's not great. Your boss is coming over for dinner. I don't think chicken dumplings is great for your boss is coming over no. for dinner, but it's better than shredded chicken. <laughs> Um, the, uh, I, I see, I thought that that re- as, was a really smart way to do the reveal because it's the kind of thing like, you don't, he does not strike me as someone who goes to people's houses very often right. or potlucks very often. So it's the kind of thing that he wouldn't be thinking of mm-hmm. as something that could be a concern. He sort of right. strikes me as someone who eats at home or has r- restaurants where the very fancy person sits down and says, oh, careful about the plate, you know? Yes. So it wouldn't have occurred to him that this is a thing that, you know that he needs to think about. So I thought that that actually was, was on the scale of things subtle. Yeah. <laughs> I liked sure. it. Um, though the Pat come in here, like don't tell Pat in the middle of the conversation, wait till they leave. And Pat isn't weird about it and then tell them. But as I'm sure you will anticipate, I loved that Pat's like, no, we're telling your mom right now. No, the yes. only reason we didn't tell your mom right now is because guests showed up. And the the stinger at the end of the episode, uh, I'm very excited for what that means yes. for the next episode. We also got their evil plan laid out, and I think it's stupid, but they're not supposed to be all that bright, so sure. Yeah, no, it's... I, I love that their plan is why don't we just make our own country in the middle of the United States? Yeah. And we're going to take over parts of the Midwest. Yeah. That's all. That That's it. Yeah. That's, that's plan. our plan. That, that's what we got for you guys. And it's yeah. like, that's okay. I guess. I I feel like there's another shoe waiting to drop, but mm-hmm. I also feel like that's the whole plan. Yeah. So we will see. Yeah. Um, okay. Over on S.H.I.E.L.D., we have After Before, and I subbed in over at the AV Club covering this one. And I like this episode, but like... I was like, this is the one I'm subbing in on? The one that has no time period shenanigans at all? You're just, you're drawing the short straw when it comes to subbing in for um, super Long running shows. shows, yeah. Because, um, like, and, you know, we're such fans of Deej and Lachman, uh, and I thought she got, like, nothing to do here. I was waiting for their, and then there, and obviously there's going to be more with that character, but, like... It's like, okay, well, it's a yo-yo episode. I like yo-yo. I thought that, like, having... I really liked having them fight instead of meditate. I, I thought that was a super smart choice, very in character. Uh, best part of the episode for me. There were a lot of really lovely little character beats uh, and moments. Um, Simmons' message to Fitz was lovely, right? And there's there's these little things throughout. But I just it, I just kept waiting for there to be more in this episode, and there and there wasn't. And then at the end of the episode, we get our trailer for next week, and it's a time loop. <sighs> so next week is going to be a time loop. It's a time loop and a bottle episode, which I mean, most time loop episodes are bottle episodes, but they're just stuck on the Zephyr. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Um, this episode is okay. Um, it's interrogating a corner of the. Sh- it's dealing with a corner of the show that I don't care about. Um, I've never cared about the Inhumans. It's been. It was always one of the weaker parts of the show for me in terms of just the show's conceptualization of Inhumans. Um, but also just in humans in general or just a really weird thing that Marvel for various reasons kept trying to make happen in the 2000s and the early teens because of rights issues. Um, but it just never really clicked for me, even though like Ms. Marvel, Kamara Kam- 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 yeah, is just one of the best characters and is an inhuman. Um, but it's just not interesting. So like, 
I like Yo-Yo a lot, but like going to um, Afterlife and trying to deal with everything, I think makes sense from like a narrative perspective, but it's just, I don't care. Um, so it was really difficult to also then watch that this becomes sort of the young Malik's endgame sort of approach of getting the powers distributed this way, which I'm glad he's still on that page because that's where he always was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like, oh, I know I was excited about you interrogating your history. This is not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part that I was hoping we just kind of skip over a little bit. So it's fine, but I'm I'm ready for them to also enter their like last run of episodes and really see what they're going to do. The, um, I mean... Uh- First of all, the goatee on him, I think, is an excellent call because it somehow makes his face even more punchable. Yes. So, well done. Um, For, you know, whoever decided that. uh, The, um, I'm sure the irony is not lost on them of a rich kid prattling on about earning things and redistribution of power. Powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it's not fair that he doesn't have any power. Um, so I'm, I, I'm hoping that there will be more with that. Um, I don't think they earned Korra's switchover at all, even like no. a little bit. Uh, I like that we have Daisy's got a half sister. That's interesting. I mean, it would make sense because uh, Jiang, uh, doesn't age. Yes. So... Of course, she should have a bunch of siblings, um, unless Jiang actively doesn't want to have children, right, most of the time. Uh, it would make sense that, that she would have, you know, if she wanted a family, it would make sense that she would have um, a couple other siblings out there, at least. But, um, yeah, I liked the, so the little moments. I liked Yo-Yo with the diviner, and, like, that was such a thing. So <laughs> And then them all, like, freaking out, and she goes, oh, sorry, yeah, no, that's prosthetic and just because nothing happens and either it should kill her or it should light up and then she touches her face and it lights up right i thought that there were some fun little mo- things like that but um yeah mostly for me it was all about the the fight training laughing about being in touch with their feelings um and then little things like have you ever jumped out of a plane uh yeah twice but i only had a parachute the second time <laughs> like there's some like they they can have fun with the series memory especially adding in a character like Souza who doesn't know it you know and, and so finding little moments for stuff like that i think is, is good i like the neanderthal thing but it shouldn't enoch know how to pronounce neanderthal and not neanderthal he should but maybe he's just trying to fit in maybe maybe he's trying to fit in um let me see what else the uh yeah i just I thought I how did you feel about Yo-Yo getting a new flashback memory and that being like the thing that they uncover cuz I was torn between why is that like I guess all this other new trauma on top of that is what has shut down her abilities but I I was torn between like oh isn't it enough having your arms cut off and nearly dying and right after your boyfriend dies of the same thing and like and killing people and dealing and not processing like why isn't that enough yeah it should be enough um i i i don't know why it's there i didn't love it yeah and there's torn between like well but why shouldn't there be something like finding out more about her past is not a bad thing you know just yeah. i don't know so i was i have two minds it's just the context of it, I think. And I also don't think they earned the, um, oh, I don't need to go back. Now everything's fine. <laughs> so, um, 
I don't think that made any sense for... It like, doesn't, but I like it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that yeah. this changed to her abilities. I like that it's happening at a time, because that makes her way too powerful. But, like, there's only a few episodes left, so we don't have to deal with the ramifications of that. Um, I like that she comes to the realization on her own. I liked this expansion of May's abilities and how it pairs so nicely. I thought that was good. Um, I enjoyed her and May's dynamic. I can't think of many times that they. it's just been the two of them. When it wasn't a fight scene, um, or like a yeah. a raid or something, so I I, I really like that dynamic. But um, and obviously they're building some stuff with Coulson and LMD that we're going to explore later. Um, okay, just me or because apparently it's just me based on Twitter. But Suze is sitting down to like watch Daisy get into the healing pod is super creepy. Like it, it, it's uh it's creepy. It's supposed to be endearing, and on Twitter everybody's like, see he loves her much because he's still there for her. like she's fine she's walking around she's fine before they were in the field and but she was being tortured to death and there was no help coming and he was helping her like not lapse into unconsciousness and die like it's a totally different energy when then there you're she's basically at home and she and like half dressed and he's just gonna watch i'm gonna watch you sleep now go ahead and get in the, it's not like she's already asleep and he's like checking in on her yeah. it's like no go go lie down i'll watch you as you fall asleep. like it's so creepy but everybody else i saw in my timeline just loved it so i was worried it was just me yeah no no it's not you it's 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 a weird sort of vibe that they're trying to push with that that i don't respond to yeah um don't Anyways, and you know we love Enver, yeah, right? We're yeah, on no, board absolutely. with Enver. You know Gearcash, what would have been better though? What if they had like jumped jumped ahead, jumped enough that it was actually young Grant that was watching over her? That would have been okay. No, no, no. no? Okay, no, no. You miss Grant Ward. Admit it. Oh my god! When they went into the the framework, and Grant is a good guy, it was so delightful and weird and like the the actor had as Dalton right Brett Dalton had a fun with that and the show had fun with that uh yeah like when the sh- and, and the show using the framework to be like no they're Nazis they're bad guys it's like that's one of the things that I think that show actually did really well and that nowhere near as many shows as I would like actually do well and that's to not rehabilitate Ward yeah because yeah. he's just bad He's evil. And they like they played it out for a while before they finally like, yeah, sorry, we're gonna have to write you off the show. There's just no way we can make you a good guy and have it be honest. So sorry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's talk about some realities. So we've got Jelly's Marble Run, Marble League 2020, the long jump and five meter hurdles. And man, you're still number one. I'm still number two. Uh, meaning, of course, the Minty Maniacs and the Arrangers. Crazy Cat Size are now tied for number two. Um but this was not our week. No, no, we had a very bad week. Um, I'm shout out to Mark Marcus Galactic did okay. Yeah, Galactic did um, pretty well. I think in the five meter five meter hurdles in particular. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, we we did poorly this week. Um, you were very excited about the long jump. What did you think about watching it? I think the long jump uh, is interesting in concept. However, I think a few tweaks would make a big difference. Uh, too many of the marbles are too hard to see in that shade of sand. Mm-hmm. And I get why they do that shade of sand because it looks like sand. Um, but I think if you had like, they're like 
for my arrangers, it was easy because it's bright orange, right? But too many of them are like kind levels of transparent. So I like it was it was hard to see. Um, and then the other issue with it is that there is there was nowhere near enough range. There so there wasn't enough variables that could affect the trajectory so that you would get different so like different results. Yeah. Um, so pretty much everybody was within like a really small range. And so then it felt too repetitive. It wasn't like this into this, which then will affect you, their, your jump as you go to the, the box. Um, and then it's not really long jump then. Then that's a multi like event kind of like thing. It's like a triathlon jump thing. Yeah. Right. But something like that would have made for a more dynamic range of results. Uh, so that's sort of how I felt about it. Yeah, and you completely encapsulated why I think the long jump is really boring to watch. Um, how did you feel about the hurdles then, the five-meter hurdles? My arrangers going side to side. Um, yeah, no, you can't go side to side on that. And I really appreciate that they explain it's a bad idea. Can't go side. It's really just makes you, you end up going so much. I mean, having run marathons and like while wearing a watch, right? A distance tracking watch. You guys be as efficient as you can. You end up running an extra like several, you know, tenths of a mile if you keep going side to side. Um, anyways, the I I liked it. I would I wanted more than I wanted more runs. I wanted it to to not just be one and done. And it didn't end up one and done. It were there were several heats. But um yeah, I was digging it. Uh I would have liked like best of three or something like that so that we could have like, I feel like I was just getting in the hang of it when it, fit, when it ended and maybe that's on me, but um, I thought, I think it's good. I think it's a good event. What do you think? I like, I like the um, track events like this um, because so much of it sort of hinges on those little bumps basically of like how they're rolling down the track. And I think that makes it really exciting. But the other thing that makes it really exciting is that there were so many like records sat set during oh, this. Yeah. And you just get so pumped up about it. Um <laughs> that I was just like, yes, oh, this is so good. I don't care that the Minty Maniacs are barely hanging in there in this. Um, but it's it's still it was just really, really exciting. And watching the racers who were I'm not going to say taking performance enhancing polish, but I'm not not saying it. Uh, <laughs> um, it no, it was it was very very fun, and I I like I like the hurdles. I like the I just like the ways that how they they conceptualize hurdles as something that slows you down, which mm-hmm. and then you have to regain that speed, and then it slows you down again. I like that as like a way of challenging the whole concept of how how do you do hurdles with um whatchamacallits uh with marbles so i really like it um are you looking forward to block pushing yeah i am i'm looking forward to more of these team events so yeah definitely how about you i really like block pushing as well and the next one's relay right yeah block pushing and relay are uh the next two and i don't think i've seen watched a relay relay run uh on the on the on in the moral league before so i'm actually really curious to see how that is organized uh but i like block pushing a lot it's a very fun sport yeah so more on that next week listeners but currently it is still minty maniacs in first and o rangers tied for second and third 
Um, okay, let's go to our last show of the week, and that's RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, the Charles Family Barbecue. So we had our ball challenge. Uh, you were concerned there wouldn't be enough of them actually crafting yeah. their looks, like creating their looks. Uh, how did you feel that they handled that balance? And if there wasn't enough for you, as I anticipate there wasn't, was it at least made up for slightly by the fact that apparently GGB doesn't know what side of the fabric is up? It was made up for by the fact that GGB doesn't know which side of the fabric is up, because even I know that. Um, <laughs> and that's just sad. Um, <laughs> yeah, there wasn't enough of the crafting aspect to it. I really would have preferred a lot more. I would have given up all of the barbecue stuff, which was just mm-hmm. not good. Um, to get more of them crafting, like I would have really enjoyed watching Alexis try seeing how Alexis put that kiddie pool as like the, whatchamacallit, the room of the trumpet, the trumpet of the dress. Thank you. Like just watch and watching that conceptualization occur, which we didn't get. And that was really, really frustrating for me because uh, watching creativity and watching it play out in crafting challenges is what makes me excited about crafting challenges because so, so many now, so many of uh, the looks are, made in advance because they know but seeing them put pull something together is something that i really want to actively watch and enjoy and it's really frustrating to not see that so i was frustrated by that um the other thing that bounced it out for me in addition to the humor of jujube not knowing which side was up was watching shay go no, also that for you. No, I, I I can help you with this and explain this, that, and everything, and just going full Bianca Del Rio on these mm-hmm. folks of like, no, oh, you need help. Well, I can't say no to you. You can. Mm-hmm. You don't want to because it's not good. <laughs> Star image. Well, because it's a popular vote. Yeah, yeah, it's a popular vote. <laughs> also, because. I like that she didn't do stuff for them. She just was like, okay, so this is how you can tell what side is up. Yeah. Do like do what you do, but just with this, yeah. and you'll be fine. Yes. Right? She was just there to be a voice of reason, calming influence, and then like she just walked up. She doesn't didn't sew anything for Cracker, but she like was like, "Oh, you change these three settings, and you'll be fine." Yeah, exactly. Um, which was great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's good. Um, I just wanted more, obviously, and like I said, I would have given up the Charles barbecue for more of it because first, um all of Rue's family seemed really uncomfortable to be up on stage. Like just very uncomfortable. They did not want to be there. I feel like, (laughs) um, and then the rest of it, like none of the looks really worked for me. Like they're, they're, some of them are good and the conceptualizations of them make sense, but it was just kind of dull at the same time. Like my big takeaway from the barbecue was entirely, I just want Jujubee's hat. Because... <laughs> Jujubee's hat is very good. That is the hat that I need during the summer. Because I, I already wear, like, wide-brimmed hats during the summer, but... That hat. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought that Alexis's dress was the best thing on the runway. For the, for the I thought, ball challenge. For the ball challenge. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree with that. And... I also think it was like 
just the most interesting thing on the runway for the other challenge too. Maybe not, maybe not for the, the cousins. Cause Shay's cousin thing was really good. And so was, uh, uh, Cracker's cousin thing wasn't that interesting, but her monologue was, her really monologue good. was hilarious. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so the, because Alexis had the worst of the cousins, like for me, it wasn't close. No. Definitely. She was last for the cousins. Yes. And uh, I thought that she was definitely first for the other one. Yeah. And for me, I think that that kind of cancels a bit. I would have sent home Blair um, personally. Cause I, I, for me, the strength of like, you made this out of a tablecloth paper cups and plastic forks and a kiddie pool and it looks really good like it's not pristine it's not perfect it's got some issues in in the construction but she made it in a matter of hours out of paper and tablecloths that is really impressive um it looked really good and I i didn't think she got anywhere near enough praise from the judges i thought that blair's look was interesting and creative but poorly constructed not yeah yeah, but again, there was a lot of construction issues because they didn't have a lot of time. Um, I thought that Shay's look, again, interesting, but like it apparently didn't bother other people, but it really bothered me that they were like, what maybe, and again, the screeners, again, aren't always the highest definition, but it looks like it was two different shades of blue on her chaps and her, her, like her top. I don't know if it was like actually, it might, might have been gray, but it looked like it was like a grayish, darkish, uh, blue kind of tone and then a, the bright blue. They definitely seemed like different tones to me as well. Oh, uh, they were definitely different tones, but I don't know if they were both blue. Um, and so that bothered me because it was like, this was like a cooler blue and this was like a brighter blue. Yeah. And, so I was like, why aren't these, this, why isn't it matching? And uh, it, it wasn't sewn. It wasn't constructed well enough, especially when they lead with, she went to school for theater costume design. Yeah. I'm expecting a much higher level, right? Um, and I thought Cracker's look was good, except that the the top needed to be fitted better. And when I realized that actually there was, like, I, at first I thought that, Alexis's dress was made of like regular fabric with just some stuff glued on. When I realized that her actual dress, the red part, was also tablecloth, I was like, Are you kidding me? There was like just straight up red tablecloth fabric there. And instead, Cracker went with that seatbelt stuff that had no shape and give to it. And so, like, I just, I thought that the, the top half of Cracker's look should have been better fitted. Um, to or if, if when I realized that there were other more workable materials available, if there weren't other workable materials available that were red, then I would have been like, okay, fair enough, I get it, good job. Obviously, she did a great job with the challenge. She made something out of nothing, right? That they all made something out of nothing. But uh, yeah, I also wanted there to be three looks. I don't know why there's only two looks. Um, which I'd like, why not suburban chic, country cousin? And Eleganza, right? Mm-hmm. When I do, when I see a ball challenge, I want three looks. I don't want only two. They only need to make one, but I want to see three, especially when it's down to a top five. And that would that would have get, given more range sure. for them to base things on. Because I also was frustrated with the judging because Rue didn't give anything helpful and that we saw in the way of criticism. And then they sent it to the back, and Cracker's like, "Well, you two are in the bottom, and you two are in the top," because I say so. And Everybody's like the two people who are in the t- who are safe are going like works for us because that means we're through to the next episode so we'll yeah and there was no pushback from Blair and Alexis and 
so there was no talk of strategy around like, well, if we both vote for the same person and vote for either Shay or Jujubee, the best they can do is tie. Like, I don't know what what Blair thinks in this episode is going to happen because she didn't win. So if Alexis goes, then and she makes it through, then then that means that the next episode is going to be a person who's won two times, a person who's won two times, a person who's won one time, and her. And why does she think she's going to make it to the finale with those odds, you know? I just, I wanted better gamesmanship, I sure. guess, in the voting. Um, and if they aren't going to do that, then what's the point of doing the voting in this way and not having someone be safe? You know, I I was getting irritated. Yeah, I've, there's a lot to sort of unpack there. But I think that generally it just boils down to the fact that everyone's making really weird choices, both in terms of gameplay, but also like the show's making really weird choices um, mm-hmm. that don't create, don't make for A, good TV, and B, make for bad reality TV. <laughs> and you don't want that. So, and yeah, so I agree with you regarding like Shay's whole outfit, I don't think works particularly well. And some of it just seemed kind of unfinished, um, yeah. which was really, really frustrating for me. Um, I love the veil though. The veil's good, and I think that conceptualization of like the veil is really, really smart. Um, I think that in terms of Cracker's idea is basically boiled down to the tablecloth's really safe. Mm-hmm. Like it's fabric. That's not the challenge. It may be part of the thing, but it's not the challenge. It's not the challenge. The spirit of the I challenge. can respect that. Um, yeah. So that's why maybe they went for the seat. Um, stuff which again I feel like you already had like the tablecloth skirt basically so it's maybe I in crackers if I had been in crackers position I would have done the same thing Mm -hmm. of like x uh, using multiple types of the material that are available as opposed to just going with cloth or like heavy heavy type of fabric Um, which I mean is basically what Blair did um, so yeah. Um, yeah. So it's all just blah. And then it leads to a very kind of low energy lip sync. Um, oh, but we, oh, but that lip sync was amazing. Cause Roxy came in and just slayed. It was like the, the song is not great. I don't know, but I, but Roxy's performance was captivating. That is an all-star. That's a lip sync assassin performance. You disagree? I, I disagree. In so far as that it's not really an assassination when they just let you stab them. Um, it's true it's more like it's more like an agreement (laughs) it is not an assassination because Cracker is clearly not there for this Um, and I imagine that that I'm hoping that this is just a degree of gameplay on Cracker's part of like I don't want to do this it's not worth the 10 grand Um, Mm -hmm. but it's just Roxy's good in it but it's just like when you're when Cracker's not giving you anything to like compete against then yeah of course it's good (laughs) yeah I don't I think that's not giving enough credit to Roxy um and how she was working her outfit Mm -hmm. and those reveals because I was like oh she's coming out in a giant coat there's gonna be a reveal like eh." but the 
the the way that she the the volume and the texture she got out of the coat during her performance was really cool and not something I anticipated. And then just like I can you kidding me with that thick and juicy. I was Shay when Shay like the talking head they cut to of Shay was me watching this. Uh, I th- I think that's like an all time lip sync reveal like moment, and she absolutely crushed it. So it sounds like I'm just more on board than you are, and that's okay. You're much more on board than I am because I feel like I'd be much more hyped about it if Crocker had put up a fight and also if Crocker's look for the lip sync had been better because it was trash. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Strong words. Well, we're going to have more to say about the penultimate episode of Drag Race next week. But for now, what wins your Wiki TV? Ooh. Um, well, I do want to mention Holy Moly, uh, which had an amazing, not hole in one. <laughs> No. But on Dragon's Breath, just an amazing hole in like a per three, I think. Stroke three. I think it was a three because it took two to get through the the fire part. Yeah. Um, Which kudos to those kudos to those ladies being the two calmest golfers on Dragon's Breath this season. Complete professionals in heat proof suits getting sprayed with fire for solid like four minutes. Um, no, just watching that <laughs> go over two graves and sink right yeah, in yeah. was just so great. It was very, very exciting. The only thing that came close to topping it was that almost hole in one and double Dutch courage. <sighs> and then the second almost and then lip out. Yeah. Oh man. It was Nor. It was Nor, right? Yeah, it was Nor. Um, it was rough. Yeah. It was rough watching that really perfect shot lip out on that hole in one for double pitch courage. I was just like, mm, no. But so Holy Moly was really good this week. Um, but my winner is Palm Springs. Uh, what about you? Um, I'm going to shout out to Perry Mason. There was some really good John Lithgow stuff this week. Um, but, uh, and, and again, I continue to be more interested than I anticipated uh, in this season, but it helps when you start with really low expectations. So I'm catching um, up. I'm halfway through episode four. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this week I will give it to, I mean, I can't give it to Palm Springs because I haven't watched it yet. It's kind of cheating to give it to the great, um, though it's definitely the great, but But, um, no, it's definitely the great. It's definitely the great. So I guess of these, I kind of want to give it to marble run. (laughs) Yeah, no, do it. Do but I it. can't. I cannot, in good conscience, do that. So uh, I'll, I will give it. I'll give it to Brainwave, I guess. But okay. yeah, it was. I watched a lot of fun things this week, just not any of these. So give it. I'll give it. I'll give it to that. And it's really the great because the great was delightful, which we're going to talk about right now. So we'll take a break, listen to a trailer, and come back to talk about Hulu's uh, first season, the first season of Hulu's The Great. To my new wife. Of Russia. Huzzah! It is. No, you don't talk, my love. Oh, of course. Must be an enormous responsibility and honor to lead a country of such import. It's actually not that hard. I'm happy to hear anyone's problems with me. Don't worry about the bodies. I would like to be useful to Russia to help its greatness. You will burn my ears. There is no higher use. Rabbit. These sticks are to enhance your fertility, but I cannot work out whether we wave them over your womb or insert them into you. I'm pretty sure it's a wave them situation. Together, we could create a greater Russia. I rule. You, sir. Your bride is unhappy. You must clear the clouds. We should find you a lover. 
marvellous. I like to be alone in the morning. Now we shall create the day together with sunny dispositions and fearless hearts. We shall discuss whether or not to kill the Empress. She is a strange creature who I sense is at times laughing at me. Empress, there are unhappy men here looking for a leader. If the Emperor dies, Russia goes to the Empress. Russia must be saved, and I'm with it. I don't want to kill you. You're not a bad person. I could kill you. You are a bad person. <laughs> You're funny. Treason is what we're discussing here. It's a dangerous game. That was a trailer for Hulu's The Great, which is a occasionally truthful, <laughs> true story uh, about Catherine the Great and Peter the uh, Third, which is Peter the Great's uh, grandson, but in the show, son. Uh, there's a lot of very wibbly history in this. For example, Catherine and Peter were married for 17 years before he became king. <laughs> um, yes. And all sorts of other things. They had several children before he became king. But historically, she did uh, she did usurp him on the throne six months after he became king. The, the emperor. Uh, so uh, I keep saying king, but it's emperor. And so some elements of it are drawn from actual moments. Like she did, uh, she did support inoculation of, of people against scarlet fever. She did inoculate herself um, and, and her, her son who was the heir who was like 14 at the time. This was, but this was all after she had been empress for quite a while. Um, so like it, there's interesting tapestry of, actual historical things and complete fabrication. And when the show is this entertaining and this upfront about that, I kind of don't care. I had a blast with the great. Yeah. I don't need this show. I don't, I don't need historical comedies that have heavy hints of drama because this, this show is very dramatic in very camp ways a lot of the time, but Mm -hmm. also like legitimately dramatic um to be faithful to history like i just i kind of don't because it's very clear from a tonal perspective that we are not following a history book we're we're borrowing from history here and there when necessary but for the most part we're crafting what amounts to what happens if mean girls but in Russia, <laughs> 18th century Russia. Um, so yeah, I don't need to follow history. You can just borrow from it and it'll be fine. Uh, because everything you just said about like the actual history makes for boring television. <laughs> um, whereas doing this version of it makes for really fun, wild, weird television that is very much on my wavelength. Yeah. Like the, all I need to be historically, or like when I was doing some searching about like how accurate is this show? Um, 
the thing that I was like, okay, yeah, I'm cool with this, was finding out that, yes, she was, like, there are ele- elements of her personality that we're seeing here that are accurate. She loved to read. She loved the French philosophers. She was very curious. She was, uh, you know, in many ways a progressive and um, uh, thoughtful ruler. In other ways, very much not. But um, she was, a lot of the things we're seeing from this character are based to some extent, on the actual Catherine the Great. And he was a terrible ruler uh, who sucked. <laughs> so that, that's that's as much as I need. And, like, he was violent and they had a really strained relationship. Like, there wasn't... there The seeds are there. Um, yeah. Like, if I looked in the history, like, and I found out that actually, you know, he was a very thoughtful and um, an excellent ruler who might, you know, may have taken things another way, but she was just power hungry. Uh, that would really shape my view of it. But because they kept like the broad strokes of their leadership styles and of their dynamic kind of in place, that really helps me um, just enjoy this. Cause I get frustrated when um, just where I'll, I'll be like, just make up a different country. Don't have it be the historical one. Right. If, if shows uh, completely change uh, well-known elements about historical figures, um, it's like, why does this need to be this actual historic, historical figure? Just make up a fictional country. And for me, uh, I think with this one, it because it's so cheeky about it, because it's very, so upfront about it, and because even a slight Google will tell you how much is not accurate, right? No one's going to confuse this with actual history. And so yeah. that makes me really comfortable with it. Let's talk about... There's so much to talk about. Um, let's talk about... The performances, because uh, it's Elle Fanning as Catherine, and she's very good, but she's very good. But I was most with Nicholas Holt as Peter, because he is hilarious and terrible, but really good in this. I think Fanning is in a weird kind of thankless role here, even though she's the lead and Mm -hmm. one of the executive producers. But I feel like the show gives her so much to do and she does it all really, 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 really well that it's a little less showy than what everyone else gets to do. Even um, uh, Sasha Duan, who plays Orlo, is in a way flashier than what Ella Fanning gets to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just... It's so aggressively acidic and acerbic uh, Fanning's performance in so many ways, but also like wonderfully charismatic and touching that watching all of that play across like tonal delivery, facial delivery, Fanning does so much work with her face in this show that it's a little ridiculous, (laughs) but also like plenty of like hair and makeup do a lot of (laughs) her hair in the finale. Yeah. After the assassination attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Um, everything about it just builds to this really great performance that is very... Can get overshadowed by Nicholas Holt's Peter. Peter, Because Holt just taps into this weird, delightful energy and just runs at an 11 the entire time. Um so that when he suddenly scales it back in little little spaces, you're just gutted by it. Like when he sees the coup board, coup board, coup board, coup <laughs> board. Um, you just you just feel it in your gut and your heart. 
of the that sense of betrayal that he's conveying. But then his whole not reading the room about being assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of it, it's really, really great. And I love that he and um, Tony McNamara, who Tony McNamara wrote a number of these episodes, created the show based on his own um, stage uh, play of The Great. Um, And he also uh, co-wrote last year's The Favorite. Uh, That was last year, wasn't it? I don't know what time is anymore. (laughs) I don't remember. Either way, Holt's really, really good in The Favorite as well. And they've clearly found like a workable vein between the two of them that just went, oh, you're a little weird, aren't you? I didn't expect that from the guy from the X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. And you just go, oh, yeah, no, he's real weird. He ta- he just finds something really visceral in Peter that the show is hyper aware of, which is the other thing I really, really appreciate about it, is that he's just a child. Mm-hmm. But he never feels infant infantilize and Holt never plays him that way either which is something I think I find really compelling of like there's an intellect to it an adult intellect to it but that you can see him just not breaking out of the arrested development that he's in and Holt is so smart in how he plays that from the kind of clipped speech to the weird kind of eye contact that then builds into the script of everyone loves me and I just expect everyone to love me. And it's such a child thing. Um, So I think that just the two central performances are just really, really great. And I can't get over them. Yeah. Like I I just, it's going to be an admittedly thin year, but if Holt doesn't get an Emmy, I may just burn everything down. (laughs) Fanning not getting an Emmy, I can kind of understand for the reasons you just kind of, you said, Mm -hmm. but if Holt doesn't get one, it's the kind of role the Emmys love. Yeah, very no, exactly. Showy. Yeah. It's yeah. so showy. But it could be so much bigger and it's not. And that restraint, I think, is also really key to why that performance works as well as it does. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people talking about the great as a critique of the Trump administration and the Trump presidency. And I think it's so much more interesting than that. Yeah, um, no, it's aggressively more interesting than that. Yeah, I don't see... a. I mean, like, there are threads, of course, but, like, I don't see that as what it's doing. I think it, it's doing a lot more, and it's it's yeah. curious in a lot more ways. So that, like, see, the, I'm curious why you didn't seek out the show. I didn't seek out the show because there was a lot of shows we were watching at the time. And yeah. because I was like, oh, okay. And, and I heard a few things about it when it premiered, but then it blipped off the radar really quickly. And the little bit I did hear about it was not interesting. Um, when we mentioned it, friend of the show, Alice Shoemaker was like, oh, I love that show. It's great. I was like, oh, okay, apparently we should watch this. And then we loved it. Um, but I do feel like there was, like, obviously it's on us to keep track of all the shows, which is hard, which is why sometimes we miss shows. But um, I felt like, like, I understand why nobody was talking about Hentified, I don't understand why more people weren't telling me you need to watch this. Yeah, so I'll address both of those things. One, the show is not a read on the Trump administration in any way, shape, or form. Um, I can definitely see why it feels that way. Or why that's the, you know, clickbait article. 
yeah, or why that's the that's the approach to it. Um, but like you say, the show's much more curious than that. And also, and I think that this is really deeply important, the show's conceptualization of Peter makes him to be a buffoon, but a well-meaning and well-intentioned mm-hmm. and occasionally thoughtful buffoon. Trump is none of those things except for being a buffoon. Mm-hmm. There's no curiosity. There's no, let's do science type of thing. And then they just do the frat boy science fair of let's put a match next to a fart. Let's electrocute a kid and turn him into a magnet. Magnet, bitches. Um, there's not, there's there's none of that, but there's also none of the I got Voltaire for your birthday mm-hmm. type of thing, which is A, just really weird that you got a person for someone's birthday, but you're the emperor of Russia. <laughs> yeah. Um, down to also just the idea of like the war with Sweden that runs throughout the season, which I think is a really good runner of conflict and politics and that kind of stuff. But there's nothing interesting there apart. Like, I see why that's the read, because it's also like concerns about being your father's shadow and trying to break out of it and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But Peter's an infinitely more interesting figure than Donald Trump is, and especially as how the show presents him. Um, so I think that reads really disingenuous. As for not being aware of it, I mean, this came out in like mid-May. Um, so we're getting to it a month late. And I saw a lot of really positive reviews in my feed. And then, like you said, it just kind of immediately dropped out. And I think a lot of it just boils down to like the cycle of existence right now. Mm-hmm. Um the reason I didn't immediately turn to it, I think, was just because I, we were still in that little glut of watching a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And bec- coupled that with having to do second segment or, or spotlight segment each week and also do um, streaming in place, I was just like, yeah, I, d- I don't have time to watch something that isn't already on my schedule. Yeah, we're not watching extra things. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I, I I want to, but also like my partner wanted to watch this as well. So mm-hmm. it was one of those things of we have to make time to watch it. And I was really lucky that we managed to finish it together mm-hmm. because we were both a little worried I was going to have to watch like the last two to three episodes by myself, um, which would have been terrible because... It was so much fun to watch this with my partner. Like, we both really enjoyed it. We both really loved it. We both laughed and got enraptured by the same parts. Like, that whole coup board thing that I just did, which is a riff on murder board from Trial and Error, (laughs) is all my partner who saw it and just started going coup board. And we both just died. Um, So I think that there's a lot of... That's the reason why. It's like, this is is definitely something that would have worked for me. And I had forgotten that this was from Tony McNamara because love the favorite um it's just so good um i think i may have pushed it up a little bit more if i'd remembered that it was from him i know like a lot of people mentioned it in hindsight but i forgot well so i also had no sense of the tone it's so funny yeah (laughs) i thought this was more like serious period piece thing and this is not that yeah and i think a part of it is that i just didn't see any like I didn't watch any trailers for this, mm-hmm. I think. And I don't know what the trailers were cut as. Um, yeah. Like the key art that's on Hulu looks semi-comedic just from Ellen Fan- Ella Fanning's face of how she's lowering the crown onto her mm-hmm. head. Um, but, 
I didn't know. Um, yeah. ha- and had I known, I would have like probably pushed it up. And had I also known that Sasha Dwan was in this, I yeah. also would have watched it a lot sooner. Because holy shit, what a TV year for this man. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about Sasha Dwan a little bit here. Because he's very good. As is not, not surprised to anyone who follows his work. Yes. He's very good. Um, but I'm eagerly anticipating season two. Because we'll see what happens. But uh, in history, Catherine had a like decade plus uh affair with orlo uh he was one of her lovers so and she had kids by him so um i'm really looking forward to what's going to happen next season with those two be especially given the dynamic and uh the rapport in season one so i'm i'm very intrigued he's super fun and playing lots of different levels sometimes very dramatic sometimes absolutely ridiculous and like all of the performances are very good on this show. So to stand out amongst them says a lot. Yeah. And I think that it also is one of those roles where, I mean, he's playing a bureaucrat, but everyone knows that's where all the power is. Like the bureaucracy is the power. So whomever can control those levers and manipulate those levers is the one who has a fair amount of power, even if no one assumes that they actually have that much, which is the whole joke on Orlo is that, Everyone thinks he's useless, and he's not, though. He knows where everything is. Um, and Darwan just gets so much good material, and he's always, like, so jittery and so, like, on the verge of a nervous breakdown the entire time. But then watching him find, like, weird senses of confidence and how he expresses that confidence after he just brutally murder as a Swedish soldier mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is, and then the ways in which the script allows him to keep bringing that up <laughs> yep but then also that he gets the one of the best feints of realizing he doesn't have to be tortured <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just it's really good and his performance I think is much subtler and quieter than anything Fanning and Holt are doing and as a result it's a little more difficult for me to talk about um, but it's still just really pointed and really compelling. And like, he pulls focus away from a lot of people in scenes. And I'm okay with that because it's just such a good performance. My, my only big hang up, and it's more of a costuming thing is that his glasses get repaired way too fucking quickly. Oh yeah. There's that. Yes. That is <laughs> just definitely way true. too fucking quickly. Those things yeah. should still be broken at the end of the season. <laughs> Um, the costuming is terrific. The music is terrific. Oh, the, the needle drops of the credits. Weird science, Kate. Mm-hmm. They did weird science. <laughs> it's very good. Um, do you have any other, like, moments you want to shout out episodes or, or, or you know, because we're, as we run out of time here, any other elements that really worked for you and really spoke to you? I really like, um, the Dimovas, um, mm-hmm. Georgia, Georgina and Grigor. And mm. the ways in which that relationship ebbs, flows, and the delicate balance that they have to strike of, I love Peter, Peter loves us. What does that mean? And how does that get interpreted? And that whole thing that runs throughout this entire season, I think is really, really interesting. And I really like it. And I kept waiting for Gregor to be brought in. Mm-hmm. And 
it would have been really easy for them to do that. And watching that not happen, I think, was one of the more rewarding twists that the show does on a narrative expectation level. Um, the other thing I want to quickly shout out is Adam Godley is um, Archie. Yeah. It's so good. Um, the show's just a treasure trove of really good actors, everyone. Um, but Adam Adam Godley, who's fantastic at any number of other programs and films, he's great. He's really, really good as Archie here. Um, and anything else? I love the whole sojourn to um, the Swedish peace talks. Mm-hmm. It's just really, really, is really great. I love that. Um, so yeah, and I want to leave things for you to highlight. So I'll stop myself there. Mm-hmm. What else stood out to you for anything in particular? Well, let's shout out Phoebe Fox as Mariel. She's also very good in a less showy role. Um, The moment when she just goes in and just punches her dad in the face, it's so good. The reveal of what her dad did. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, I don't want to spoil that. We can't spoil that. Um, uh, Shout out to Vlad. You're in our heart. Um, Oh, sweet boy. Belinda Bromillo, also looking forward to her as Anne Elizabeth next season. Apparently, you can train butterflies, sort of, in the way that she does. Like, that character okay. does. Yeah, well, that's actually a thing. she should have given some lessons to some Drag Race contestants. Side oh, oh, look at that. Um, yeah, there's just so much to enjoy. This is, I think, excellent quarantine viewing because mm-hmm. it's just so fun and there yeah. is substance there but if you just yes. want to appreciate it on a like superficial level you absolutely can um and if you're, you want to like really live with each episode and like think about it it has the substance to merit that and it will deepen with you but if you just want to go it's funny and there's they say huzzah a lot and they smash a lot of glasses so oh, how, how does everyone not have like shredded feet is what i want to know um but it's just, it's it's delightful. We really liked The Grey. This is definitely going to be at my end of the year. I can't yes. imagine how this isn't going to be at the the um, my end of the year list. Um, but yeah. Yeah, if you have Hulu, check it out. If you yeah. don't, wait till they do a free trial and check it out. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to follow up with you about quarantine viewing is that I think one of the smartest, best things about the show, and my partner made a point of mentioning this and I want to reiterate it because it's a really good point is that even though the show is fairly serialized, each episode is very Mm self-contained in terms of what are we going to do in this episode? What is this episode about? How are we furthering the larger plot? So it's not a serialized mash of something. It's very, each episode has a very strong through line in it which is so rare now to get that, especially in shows that feel the need to be deeply serialized to the point where you just kind of wonder what they're doing. You mm-hmm. never wonder what they're doing when you're watching The Great. And that's arguably one of the show's best accomplishments, especially yeah. in the current landscape. That's an excellent point. They are very contained. Like this is what, the, there's threads, there's character stuff going all the way through, absolutely, but yeah, this is the episode where this, this is the episode yes. where that, and uh, like you say, that is refreshing. To not, to have a show that isn't a procedural that does that is yeah. really rare, so yeah. yeah. Good call, good call. Yeah. Um, well, that will wrap up our conversation for this week. You, a few show notes here, you can find a post for this episode over at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. 
You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find the M4A chaptered feed and the MP3 unchaptered feed of the podcast over on Apple Podcasts. You can also find the M4A feed on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. It helps people find the show. Let us know if you do leave a rating or review so that we can read it. Yay. Um, also, you can email us at televers at gmail.com. Uh, you can find my review for this last week's episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and my my weekly reviews of Drag Race All-Stars and regular Drag Race over at the AV Club. And we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televers and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thanks, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.